footballers' lives. Life After Football is brought to you by the Phoenix Sport and Media Group. Presented and produced by Richard Lenton. Hello and thanks for downloading the latest episode of Footballers Lives. Now today I'm joined by another very recognisable figure from the 1990s. Ian Walker was the Chesney Hawks lookalike who made over 300 appearances for Tottenham during his dozen years at the lane. He also played for Leicester and won a handful of England caps before becoming a goalkeeping coach out in the Chinese Super League where he's been for nearly a decade now. Ian was actually supposed to be joining me on one of my Premier League television shows in Singapore a few years ago but... I honestly can't remember why it didn't happen and I totally forgot to ask him. But here, Ian talks about life at Spurs with Paul Gascoigne, Jurgen Klinsmann, Christian Gross, George Graham and many other colourful characters. The infamous Hong Kong trip via a dentist chair with England. How he was virtually ignored and ostracised by everyone but Gaza after his high profile error that led to Italy's. World Cup qualifying win at Wembley in 1997, how Nicholas Anelka helped him land his big break in coaching in China, and much, much more besides. Enjoy. Well, first things first, you never quite know when you haven't seen a Premier League player, an ex-Premier League player for so long, you don't quite know what you're going to get when they uh, pop up on their Zoom screen. But I'll tell you what, pleasantly surprised. The blonde hair's still there, Ian. I didn't know whether you had any temptation yeah. for it to go. I've still got the wig. It's all, it's all good. So, uh, yeah, the wig's hanging on and everything else. Uh, yeah, the stress the stress is still there, but the uh, few wrinkles, few extra wrinkles, but everything else is all right. <laughs> no, the hair's hanging on. Very impressed. It's never going to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've just mentioned uh, off camera that you are still in the bubble. I was going to say, I usually love an anniversary, but not when it comes to COVID, which I think is about a year old now. So how normal yeah. is life out there in Shanghai now? Well, actually, in Shanghai, this is pretty much back to normal. But um, the CFA, the Chinese Football Association, didn't want anything to happen, you know, to the players or anything else. And they wanted to do the league. So they decided that we all basically have two two groups of eight one one group would be in Suzhou which is about an hour hour and 20 minutes from Shanghai and the other group is in, is in Dalian which is in the north of China um, and um, yeah we're, we're isolated we train the training grounds are, are inside and um, in the grounds and it's all it's all cut off from everywhere else and uh, yeah we've we played the first phase and now we're in the knockout stage in uh, the second phase so We've got four, hopefully we've got four more games to go, but we're still fighting for the title. So, um, yeah, I think they're just being extra careful. And um, But out, outside in Shanghai is absolutely fine. There's no real problems. So uh, that's quite nice. But um, obviously the outside world is uh, still having a lot of problems, which is uh, sad to see, really. But, yeah, a year. It's been incredible. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you a little bit later about adaptation to, to life in China but did you learn Mandarin? I've been learning Mandarin but I'm not very good. I, I started when I first came over I was like right I'm gonna get right into this and then I got a translator for work and it kind of just tailed off yeah. and then um, and then I tried again and I've been in and out so obviously this whole isolation bubble thing doesn't help so uh, I, I, to be honest I keep making excuses and that's the real reason why I haven't done it properly uh, but 
but I do want to learn it because I've, I've been here like what eight and a half years now so it's a little bit getting a little bit embarrassing so um so I, I know kind of how to get by but uh, you know conversation wise and all that is still not up to scratch so um yeah something on my to-do list um yeah I'll, I'll try my best uh, next year I'll, I'll definitely have a go at it properly there's always next year let's just get 2020 out of <laughs> <laughs> So presumably there's enough English speakers out there for you not to just be sat there eating your lunch on your own and just doing your own thing. You you can socialise okay and converse with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all right. You know, take the taxi and order some food and all that stuff. But yeah, the rest of it is uh, it's hard because, you know, it's obviously when you, you're not used to the language, they speak so quickly and all that. And it's like, oh, no. Just pick up words here and there. Yeah. But, uh, but it's all right, yeah. Well, this podcast is more about the transition into life after football, but let's take you back first. Let's have some early football memories. I believe your first hero was Ray Clements, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was because uh, obviously my dad was also was a goalkeeper and um, he used to obviously watch a lot of games and stuff on TV. And, of course, at that time... Liverpool were winning everything, so I watched a lot of Liverpool games, and um, obviously Ray Clements was one of the top goalkeepers that we produced ever. So, um, so yeah, it was a good one to follow. And uh, fortunately for me, you know, I, I ended up having him as a coach at Spurs, so that was uh, that was nice also. Uh, and he was very helpful to me at the beginning of my career. So, um, yeah, it was nice. And you dad Mike. You mentioned your dad, Mike, as well, being a goalkeeper down at Colchester. He had a 10-year spell at Colchester, didn't he, when you were growing up. So were you a regular at Layer Road? Do you remember much about the 70s and 80s? Lots of promotions and relegations? Yeah, well, I was there all the time. Every home game, I was there pretty much. And, you know, I used to go in the dress room and all that. And, you know, just kind of think, what the hell's going on here? But it was uh, <laughs> all these sweaty blokes running around with nothing on. But it was... Uh, <laughs> It was, um, yeah, it was good. It was good because obviously I wanted to see my dad playing all that. And then later on, he, after that, he transitioned into kind of coaching. So, um, yeah, it was interesting to see, you know, I used to, rem the thing I remember most, like when he came back from away games, he had like stitches in his head or he'd have like, I don't know, broken nose or, yeah, and I'd think, yeah, I don't know about all this <laughs> football game, but um, no, I just loved it. I loved it from the beginning. I was you know, a young kid and he was playing and I just, that's all I knew. So, um for me, it was kind of a natural thing to just follow. And to be a goalkeeper, or were you a frustrated outfield player? Well, I was an outfield player at the beginning, yeah, because I thought, well, that's all the glory is you want to score the goal. So I used to play up front for my young school team and then a Sunday league, Sunday team, and used to score loads of goals. But then once, once the pitches got bigger and I realised you've got to run around a lot, I thought, I'm not too sure about this. So... Um, I decided at I decided at like ten I think it was about ten or eleven I decided right I want to I want to be in goal, yeah. And they were like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "No, no, I want I want to play in goal now." And then, luckily for me, um, a guy at Colchester Athletic who was was quite a obviously a good uh, a good team at that time, um, they wanted me to go there, so I ended up going there and and uh, training there, and and that's where it all started. So. Uh, Played with them, they we were very quite successful, and then got invited to go to um, Monday night training at Queens Park Rangers on the Astro. And it wasn't like yeah. the Astro of these days, was it? It wasn't like a lovely 4G. 
Oh yeah, but it wasn't too bad. It was it was it was it wasn't too bad actually. It was um it was quite sandy. I remember being pretty sandy, but and it would bounce pretty high. But it wasn't too hard. It wasn't like super. It was quite quite thick, so um wasn't too bad for the keepers. But um yeah, that's where that's where I really started started thinking about. Well, I might have maybe I'll have a chance of playing in a you know a big team one day, and um and then from there I got the trials at Lillishaw, the national school at Lillishaw. So. Fortunately for me, managed to get that and get in there and uh, worked with Mike Kelly, who was, who was the goalkeeping coach of England for a while there. And he's been at loads of clubs and he, um, the other goalkeeper dropped out and ended up having him for basically a year and three quarters on my own. And that was really the making of me, I think, at, at that time. Yeah. Well, you mentioned QPR there. I spoke to Gavin Peacock last week and he was at QPR, yeah. but then his dad was manager of Gillingham. So his dad, Keith, took him to Gillingham. So he dropped down a couple of divisions. So even though you were at Lillyshaw at 15, 16, your dad had just got the Colchester job. Was there not a conversation over the breakfast bar? Come and do a job for me. You can start out here. No, because what happened was he, he once I decided I wanted to be a goalkeeper, of course, like, it was like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to coach you over on the little park by our house. And he just leathered the ball at me as hard as he could and I was like it, all, it just always ended in tears you know so um, I just after that we kind of like said okay it's best he used to take me to all the games and stuff but we never really it was never a coaching situation um, after that so he just let me well what he did do is he took me around a few clubs he took me around a few clubs uh, when I was at Lillishaw and you know one night he took me to one of the Spurs games and um, that's when I really fell in love with, with Spurs, I was like, oh, oh, this is where I want to play if I get the chance. So, um, and then fortunately for me, it, it came along. So, uh, so that, that was good for me at that point. Yeah, I, I did have a few clubs. I had crew and a few others who wanted me to go there. But um, I wanted to test myself at the highest level. And then I could, if, if it didn't work out, I could always drop down. Hmm. But my reasoning was if I went to crew and I didn't make it, I, I was probably out of it. And that was it. So I gave myself a little out in case it didn't work at Spurs. Yeah. Good decision in hindsight. But before we get on to Spurs, I just wanted to ask you one more thing about your dad's managerial career. Because Colchester were top of the fourth division. And then he got yeah. sacked. I think he had an argument, didn't he, with uh, Jonathan Crispy, chairman. What's that like to deal with as a family? I mean, were you aware, were you aware of it? And were you now all, all too familiar with how fragile a football career could be? Yeah, it was strange. I mean, like you say, top of the league and all that and flying. And then next thing you know, he's, oh, I've got the sack. And it's like, what? <laughs> you know, what's going on? Uh, yeah, it was pretty devastating, I think. I think for him as well, it was kind of like, oh, you know, going so well. And then just to be just to be basically uh, slung out like that was, was pretty hard to take for him, I think. But it doesn't matter at what stage you're at, whether you're top of the league or, or not, you can get the sack. and. Uh, Fortunately, he managed to get another job in Norwich and, and uh, things went upwards from there. So, um, I don't know, in a way, maybe it was, what, it was uh, what was meant to happen. Yeah, good breeding ground, though, to get that under his belt. But you signed for Spurs yeah. in 89. How fondly do you look back on that 1990 Youth Cup win over Borough? One of the best times I've ever had, for sure. It was, uh, you know, that, that team we had was uh, an exceptional side. I think we won everything. Um, and yeah, it was it was a great it was great to be in. It was a 
great experience all those guys together and you know haven't I think the youth cup I don't know won it in the 70s I think was the last time Spurs won it and then and then we've won it and I don't think it's been won since I'm not sure but I don't think so so yeah it's pretty special um and yeah obviously being in that team and being because it because it went so well you're obviously thinking that a lot of guys are going to make it into the team and you know you're thinking oh yeah I've got a chance now because you know we're doing well and everything's going great and just um you just uh, ups your ambition a little bit you think oh yes yeah, this, this is good this I want more of it you know so so yeah it was a special time I still keep in touch with a couple of guys um from the youth team so uh, yeah yeah happy days yeah well, it worked out really well for you as a springboard, but I looked through the lineups earlier today, and out of those 28 players, the two teams combined, you were the only one who played top-level football. Were you surprised that more of your teammates didn't kick on? Yeah. Yeah, I was a bit. but Because um, a few played, a few played a few games, and, and, and a couple of others went, I think, other places and played a few games, but nobody really went uh, to the... You know, to a higher level or played, continue to play at a higher level. So, yeah, it's a bit strange. Um, but then again, you know, I don't know how many youth team players actually do make it all the way through. There's, you know, it's still a small, small percentage. So, um, at the time, I was a bit surprised, but you learn quickly that you know, not many people actually do actually get through and and play at the top. So, yeah. Uh, Difficult football, you know, you never know what's going to happen and injuries, a lot of the guys got injured or, or just for whatever reason, you know, fell away and that's uh, that's, how, that's how it works, unfortunately. Yeah. And injuries at those kind of formative years, you're going to be struggling to, to get back in. But Spurs as a club were buzzing, weren't they, around about that 89-90 period, Terry Venables in charge. Do you remember the first time you trained with the first team and went into that dressing room and how confident you were or how daunting it was? Um, well, I remember the training more than anything because uh, I remember um, a few of them tried to rough me up a bit. So that's what I remember out of it. That's what I remember. I remember getting roughed up a few, few times. And I think it was like their way of seeing how I was going to react um, to it. So... And and I never reacted to it at all. I just got on with it. So I think that was a good sign. I think that's what they wanted to see. But um, that's how I do, that's one of the one things I remember. So <laughs> that can tell you how much it kind of like affected me. I guess that oh I'm getting roughed up here and all that. But um, that was all part of the ritual back then, I suppose. But uh, but yeah, I, I just from the youth from Lillishaw to getting into Spurs, and then I got to Spurs. I think there were like seven goalkeepers ahead of me. But I had that at that time. I was pretty. I was pretty confident in myself that I was going to make it into the team, into the first team. Mm. Even at that young age, I just had this, I had, I had this just goal. I had a goal and that was it. And I just, everything, I was quite fortunate in a way that everything just seemed to fall for me. I mean, like I said, the other goalkeeper dropped out a little short. Then I got the Spurs and things went really well. The youth team was a really good team. So I got pushed on and then I started playing the reserves and that was all good. I didn't really have any setbacks at all. And I just thought, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. So even though I got into the first team uh, dressing room and all that, I still felt like, like this is where I'm supposed to be. So at that point, I had like a lot of confidence in myself. And, uh, and um, yeah, my plan was going exactly how I thought it would. So I was, I was quite fortunate. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it was a very different game in the pre-sanitised Premier League era, wasn't it? When you first walked yeah. into that dressing room. Was, was Mr Gascoigne welcoming? Was he good with the young lads in general? Or was it pranked straight away to you? Uh, he's just, he's all, yeah, he was all right, but he was always pranking every day. So, I mean, it's just no different. He was just 100 miles an hour, always something going on. So, uh, yeah, he was great. I mean, he was great with me. Um, he looked after me, actually, when I was young, when I was getting in the team and getting to be known a little bit and had a bit of a problem with, uh, I had a ground floor flat and um, had a few problems and he looked after me and um, we had a great time for like about a year. He, he, he looked after me in London. So, um so that was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, Gazza's Gazza. He's just uh, so funny and he's brilliant to be around. Um, uh, and uh, I always tell everyone, you know, he's got a heart of gold as well. Although he's a bit of, you know, everyone sees him a bit of a clown. He's, he's got a heart of gold. He, he looks after people, a lot of people. And, uh, and um, yeah, he was yeah, obviously a great player. Probably the best player I saw, I've seen. Um, and then unfortunately he started getting a few injuries and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, great guy. Lots of pranks and, you know, the old deep heat and the underpants and cut the ends of the socks off and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. and then driving a team bus into the wall at a training ground and bringing ostriches to the training ground and letting them loot. And so it's just so, there's so many things. His stories are all out there. So, yeah, but a great guy. Great guy. Yeah. And then I imagine looking after you meant bottles of Newcastle brown and China whites. Well, it's just after he came back from the World Cup. So he's, he was basically, he said, come and stay with me in the hotel. I think he was in a hotel in the Cromwell Road. That's where he was staying. He said, get out of there and come and stay with me. I think it's just because he wanted company, to be honest. But um, he, he took me out and basically everywhere we went, there was like, within two minutes, there was a bottle of champagne on the table, free from whoever, from, a, from, from just another guy in the bar or, or from the people who owned the place. And it was just like that. It was nonstop. It was absolutely crazy. Um, and uh, well, I have to say I enjoyed it. I mean, I was 19. I think I was 19 years old. So I was I was loving it. So, <laughs> but but um, but uh, it was a little bit much to be honest as well at the same time. But it was all good fun. Yeah. Well, you know, he came back with such a reputation after that 1990 World Cup, and all of a sudden he's doing brute adverts. He's meeting the Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. But people also forget that 1991 season. He played some of the best football I've ever seen. Oh, it was unbelievable. That's what I'm saying about he was one of the best players I've ever seen because he, he could just take a game over whenever he fancied it. Like, whenever, he, whenever I'm, I want to take this game over, I'm going to take it over. And he'd just get the ball and go through past three or four people and score, and it'd just be amazing. And it's, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. That season was incredible. And, uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, absolutely amazing. And I, I don't think there's many people around that can do that. There's many people who can just decide, right, I'm, I'm, I've had enough now, I'm taking this game over and that's it. Yeah. So. And people also forget he pretty much helped the club or saved the club from a financial point of view, driving them to the FA Cup final and then agreeing to be transferred. But was he on the pitch for your debut, April the 10th, 1991? Not sure if he was or not, because the reason he played is because we had I played was because he had the cup final coming up. So I think Terry uh, rested a few players. So I'm not sure if Gaza played or not. Um, I was obviously very nervous for the game because it was my first game, and um, but then you know trying to enjoy it, 
I think my I think the family were there, so it was it was a big 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 moment for me and all that. And I just didn't want to let down the team. That was the main thing. I just didn't want to make a fall out of myself and 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 caught you know make a mistake for a goal or something on my first game. So that was my main focus. Just try and play steady and try and keep a cool head and uh, try and do my job properly. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was an amazing experience. Of course, I mean you know when you get a chance to play and it's uh, it's a big moment in your career. So yeah. I tried to enjoy it as best I could. <laughs> and your old man was you team manager at Norwich, so it was all very odd, wasn't it? You know, in terms of the coincidences. Yeah, yeah and, and and it yeah, and then later on, obviously, we would become the the head coach or the head coach or the manager. And um, yeah, there were some moments there later on when we uh, we crossed paths, and it was a a little bit a little bit difficult, um, particularly when Klinsman came because. We played, I think we played Everton at home the second game and because of all the press and everything that Klinsman had had, we, we, we all decided as a group that when he scored his first goal, we'd all go and dive on the floor. So he scored the first game at Sheffield, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday away, yeah. he scored. So we all went and did the old dive and all that. And then when we got back in the dressing room, we said, oh, well, now we've got to do it at home. And the next game was Everton and, and, uh, and my dad was the manager. So... Yeah, I basically, Klinsman scored and I had to run past the bench. <laughs> I had to run past the bench and do a dive on the floor, skidding past, like just about 20 yards past the, past the Everton bench. Oh God, so I was like, oh my, I hope he doesn't mind, you know. But anyway, had to be done, you know, you've got to join with your mates and all that. So <laughs> there's a little, afterwards I thought, oh, maybe it was a little bit too much. But anyway, he never mentioned it, so it was all right. Yeah, wondered why he didn't get invited around for Sunday dinner the following day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, you made your debut in the April of 91. What do you remember of the 91 Cup final? Because Cup final day back then was the be-all and end-all, wasn't it? It was one yeah. of the only games that was televised. It was always that kind of 10 hours of solid live television. But you, you must have been in and around the squad. It must have been great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you grow up watching the FA Cup final. It's like amazing. And you, of course, you want to play in it and all that and sample what it's about. And um, yeah, it was a crazy time. Crazy. Uh, uh, just just the whole thing was nuts. I mean, uh, just to be involved in it was great. And of course, the result was, was brilliant. And the parties were amazing afterwards. <laughs> so... It was a great day, yeah, fantastic. I mean, obviously, I didn't, I didn't play, and I didn't, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't actually officially on the bench. I don't think for that one, but um, I didn't get a medal. I didn't get a medal for that one, but um, I didn't play, so I didn't really deserve one. But uh, it was, a, yeah, it was a great experience, and it just made me more determined to try and get back to Wembley and play at Wembley again, and and try and sample a bit more of this, uh, the, those kind of atmospheres. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were number two to Eric, Thor Eric Torsford, weren't you? Um, was he helpful or would he kind of keep you at arm's length as a potential rival? Uh, I, wouldn't say he, I wouldn't say he was helpful, but I would say that it was a healthy, it was a healthy uh, situation. I mean, it, we'd, we'd train hard and we'd respect each other and all that. But I think, yeah, he, he didn't want to lose his place to me and a young upstart coming through. Uh, I think I think Eric played like man, ninety odd games for Norway, so it was kind of like, of course he didn't want to lose his place to me, but 
at the same time, it was, um, you know, I was just determined to, to try and get that spot because I was almost to my, to my goal of, you know, getting to play in, in, in a top level at Tottenham. And that's what I wanted, obviously, to play for England as well was a, another goal of mine. But, but, um, but no, it was, um, yeah, we never sat down and talked about the different aspects of goalkeeping and stuff like that. But we, we, we um, had, a, had a, I'd say it was a good relationship as far as, you know, professionally, it was a good relationship. And um, yeah, and he's a good guy. You know, he's a great guy. He's no, no, you know, he was, didn't have a bad bone in his body, Eric. So it was, it was, it was good, good to work with him. And, and of he, course, he was a, you know, he was a big time international. He played ninety odd games. So I mean, it was good for me to see how he worked and see what he did. And you know, he was in great shape and all that kind of stuff. And he did it properly. So hmm. it was, um, it was good for me to see that. Yeah, lots to take from him for sure. But in situations yeah. like where you had got the nod over him like you really started to do in that inaugural Premier League season. Is it a case where he sees that he's been left out and he'll come and shake your hand and say best of luck or is it a bit of a, a sulk and a disappear act? Well, they all say best of luck, but they probably don't mean it. So, I mean, you know, you take it for what it is. But um, I think that's the same when you, you know, whenever you get picked any, above anybody else, it's always a little bit, you know, all the best, mate. But, you know, <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, that's, that's just the competitive nature of it. I mean, you don't, you don't want to get, you don't want somebody else getting the, the place ahead of you. I mean, but of course, you, you, I'd like to think people do, do mean it. But I mean, some people don't. I mean, you know, some people don't mean it. Yeah. But Eric, yeah, I mean, if, if he said to me all the best, I know he meant it. Well, I hope so anyway. <laughs> but I, I think he did. <laughs> I think he did. Yeah, well, you really started to become the undisputed first choice under Aussie Ardilas. Now, I used to love watching that team, the famous five. <laughs> Fantastic to watch, but you must have been looking at this 4-1-5 formation or whatever, thinking, guys, I'm going to be busy today. Oh, yeah, well, I was. Uh, so, yeah, I used to see the, the team going forward and then, you know, three or four running back and that was it. The rest were waiting for the ball up the top. But no, I mean, it was exciting. Of course, we, we knew that, we, you know, we were going to concede goals and we knew that we, what we were going to do is try and score more in the opposition. And that's it. And it might be a 4-3 or it might, <laughs> might be a 5-2 or it might. And, some, and occasionally it will, it will be the other way around where we'd get beat, five, where we, you know, we let in five and lose or we'd let in four and lose. And that was just how it was. It was, a, it was exciting, but it was also risky. And, um, you know, we were just hoping that we would score more. We did have some good quality players and, you know, attacking players. But it left us open. And, um, you know, quite a lot of times we got punished, um, you know. And, yeah, like you said, it was exciting to watch, but it wasn't that great to be behind at times. But, uh, obviously, the winning moments were great. And, as always, the losing moments are horrible. So, um, of course... You know, you don't like letting in goals and, and all that. And if you're on form and, and you're feeling confident, usually it goes, it's okay. But if, if you have a slight dip in confidence or a slight, you know, you make a mistake here or there, and then the problem is you, you end up, you do end up these, uh, letting in four goals or three goals or, or, or more sometimes if, you, if you're not quite on it. So um, that was a difficult part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could see where the fans loved it. But um, yeah, well, it was a little bit stressful. <laughs> 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 for me it was 
I was going to say, it wouldn't be great for the likes of yourself and Sol Campbell and, and Justin Edinburgh, the late Justin Edinburgh, and guys like that. But honestly, great to watch for the neutral. And Jurgen Klinsmann, obviously, a focal point of that team. And I, for me, I think it was that signing where, as an English football fan, you started thinking, crikey, our league's getting a bit special. You know, what was it like him walking through the door at White Hart Lane? Yeah, it was yeah, it was amazing. So my mate told me actually, I didn't even know we were signing him. He said, "Oh, we're signing this blonde guy from Germany. Guess who it is?" I was like, oh, I don't know who is it. I just like, oh, I don't care. And he said, "Oh, he's Cl- oh, Klinsmann." I was like, "Oh my god, it's gonna be amazing." And then he met us in, um, I think we we're away, maybe on a preseason somewhere, and uh, he's, they said, "Oh yeah, he's coming to join us and all that." And the lads are, we were allowed on a night, one night, to have a few beers in a bar and that. So we went out, and then Jurgen met us in this bar. And the first thing he did is put his credit card behind the bar. So everyone loved him from minute one. So uh, that was it. He was part of the boys straight away. So he knew how to do things. He was, he was obviously very clever and um, obviously a great player too. But he, um, he got the boys on his side straight away, which I thought was uh, well done for him. He did, did really good out there. But yeah, great player. And obviously him and Teddy had a special relationship. And uh, uh, just amazing to play in the same team as him. I mean, it's... For me, it was incredible. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. it's so, so it's such a good luck for me to, to play on the team with this guy. He's a legend, you know. So, um, yeah, special times. Um, you yeah, know, he understood about, you know, the diving and how people hated that. And he didn't have that good, a, a, I guess, a reputation. But he turned it around because he knew what he was doing. He was clever, you know. And um, I think by the end, everybody... Um, you know, really appreciated what he did, how he tried to, you know, show people who he was and what he was about, and uh, people appreciated him after that. So, um, you know, of course, the, the whole diving incident came from him and Teddy. I think him and Teddy brought it up together and said, let's dive. And we were like, yeah, all right. So that was because, you know, tongue in cheek, obviously. But that was, people enjoyed it because they thought, oh, okay, he's got a sense of humor and all that. So, <laughs> so you know, little things that he did, um, I think made people, um, you know, appreciate him a lot more. So, yeah, yeah it's good. What do you remember of the England debut, Hungary, May 1996? And, and do you also think that Jerry Francis coming in and restructuring the team and making it a bit more solid was kind of integral to, the, to that process of turning you into an international player? Um, well, I think, no doubt, it helps when the team is a bit more structured and the team... Uh, is defending better. I think it makes you look better. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, when you haven't got, when you're not getting pelted with shots every game, um, you know, it's obviously a lot more difficult, but, um, but yeah, of course, obviously that helped. And Terry knew me from, obviously from early days at Spurs um, and obviously Ray Clements as well. So I think they thought that, you know, I had a, some good natural ability and I had the ability to do it, to do it at that level. It's just whether I could be consistent enough. And, uh, they, you know, obviously gave me the opportunity after I obviously played quite well. And, um, yeah, again, nerve wracking, but what, you know, again, thrilling experience for somebody who's wanted to do that since they were like five years old or whatever is to play for England and play at Wembley and, uh, represent your country. It's like, it's a dream come true. So, I worked hard for it and I tried to, again, try to enjoy it as much as I could, but I was, again, super nervous. But uh, obviously at that time thinking, oh, if I, if I do all right, maybe I'll get in the, I'll, I'll stay in the squad and I'll be able to build up for, for future as well. So that was a, 
that was the main thing. But one step at a time, just to get on the pitch was yeah, amazing. Did he tell you very early on that you were very much in line to be one of his three Euro 96 keepers? Well, I had a feeling I was. He didn't tell, I don't think he told me directly until the time was to tell everybody. But, um, you know, when I... Once I got in the squad, I thought, okay, I've got a good chance here, you know. And then, and then uh, we had the whole trip. I think we had the trip to China after that. And then, um, and then I was already in there then, I think, by that time. So that was, yeah. Um, again, that whole thing was just amazing to, again, played. I played, I think, a little bit of time against China. And then we came back and played the Euros, which was, well, yeah, that was an amazing, uh, what an experience. Just incredible. Because obviously we had a little bit of uh, a problem <laughs> before the Euros 96 <laughs> it's a little problem in China uh, I think it was in Hong Kong actually where it happened and um, everyone was on our case the whole squad's case about you know not representing the country properly and this and that and the other because there'd been a few drinks and some shenanigans on the, <laughs> on the dentist chair and uh, and you know uh, we were feeling the pressure a bit and then the first game I think was a draw and then after that we just the team just played amazingly well. It's just incredible results. Obviously, Scotland with the Gaza goal, and and then we beat Holland four one, and it just kept rolling from there. And you could feel you could feel the you know the the whole nation just getting behind the team. It was uh, what an experience that to be involved in. Yeah. And just one more question about Hong Kong. Gary Neville said, "Well, me and." the young lads, we stayed in, we did the right thing. Whereas Jamie Redknapp, one of the young lads, said it was the best party I have ever been on. So were you one of the young lads with Gary Neville or were you getting involved in the dead next year? No, I don't think the young lads were there, no. I think it was uh, what I remember. <laughs> what I remember of it, it was, uh, well, Brian Robson was in charge of us. And, um, you know, I just remember him standing on the side of the pint and just, that was it. He just... It was it was all good, but yeah, obviously Gaza was there and, and Teddy and all the guys. You Steve McManaman and all the guys you could see are in the pictures, and it was a good number. It was a good number there, um, and I think it was just that you know it's just that case of right. We next week we're going back and we're going to be in the hotel for a long time. So Terry said right, go go and have a few drinks, lads. So, you know, let your hair down a little bit, but I don't think he meant that much. <laughs> so. So yeah, um, yeah, the Neville guys are always super professional. Anyway, so I mean, you know, I wouldn't expect to see them there, but the other guys like like to you know have a drink and enjoy themselves. So yeah, it just went a little bit too far, unfortunately. But actually, you know, nobody misbehaved. It's just that you, it's not good to see people under in the dentist chair drinking as much whatever it was. I think it was vodka or tequila or something. And and then there's a few ripped shirts afterwards, and uh, that didn't help. So. Um, so, yeah, probably not the best thing the week before the tournament starts. Yeah. It paved the way for one of the greatest gold celebrations I've ever seen. But I, don't, I can't remember if I saw you on the picture the following day in the, in the sun. Did you manage to avoid that? Yeah, yeah, I was very happy about that because I think it might have been Teddy who was first or Gaza who was first, then me, then it was Teddy. And Teddy... And Teddy got the picture in the, in the chair. Well, nobody knew me, probably. That's why I got away with it. So at that point, uh, nobody really cared about that. So it was Teddy and Gaza and, or, you know, they were the main features. So um, I was quite happy yeah, to dodge out of those 
pictures. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a nice one at the end. I was like, oh, I was a bit, you know, you always get a little bit worried about it. And then, you know, the next day when I saw it, I was like, well, thank God I didn't get, <laughs> I didn't get the picture. <laughs> yeah. And being around the squad, were there ever any little niggles for David Seaman at any point where you, where you were thinking, crikey, I might have half a chance here? Nah, no, I didn't, I didn't see that happening, no. When I first got in the England squad and I started training with the squad and all that, I'd see when I when I saw David Seaman, I was like, oh yeah, he's top level. You know, he's he made it look easy. Uh, and I started to watch him a little bit more, see what he was doing because you know, for me, he was it's small, it's small margins, but he was a he was a another level above the others. Uh, anybody else who was there, in my opinion, and. Um, so and in, and you know he didn't really get injured. He was super consistent, and um, yeah, he had a great tournament as well, '96. Uh, and um, no, I didn't think I was going to play. If it had come along, would I have been ready? Well, yeah, I'd have been. I'd have, of course, I would have been. Had would have been ready. That's why I'm there. But but um, <clears throat> for me, it was like I'm just really happy to be in the squad. Um, it's a great experience for me at this time in my career. And maybe sometime later on down the road, I'll get an opportunity. But I wasn't thinking that that was going to happen. Hmm. Well, it was competitive debut for England, wasn't it, the following year? Uh, and obviously, you can see that goal against Gianfranco Zola in Italy. Do you think it yeah. was taken out of all proportion and certainly with the media criticism and everything? And, and what did Glenn Hoddle say to you afterwards? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Nobody called me. Nobody spoke to me afterwards, and no one said anything. So, all right. Well, you're on your own, mate. So uh, that's it. I mean, you know, Gaza came up to me and said some things to me, which was really great of him, and uh, he was the only one. So, yeah, I was a bit surprised at that. But um, as Gaza would say, every everyone's for themselves in here. So. That's what he told me. He said, don't worry about these lot. Everyone's for themselves. I was like, okay, that's how it is. It kind of set me back a bit, actually. It kind of like made me feel like, uh, is, that, is that how it is? You, you, when you think about it, you think, nah, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be everyone together. But, you know, at that point, it wasn't. So, uh, yeah, you're on your own. It's you, Jack. Look, you know, you've got you to you gotta deal with it yourself and you've got you to gotta, you know, try and get over it and, uh, and move on. But, uh, yeah, a little bit surprised. Nobody really said anything, but um, I knew before the game, like if 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 it didn't go right, uh, obviously I'd be I'd be in for some some stick, no matter what, pretty much, unless we won the game and it was, you know, it was uh, everything was clean. But um, obviously losing the game and the goal and you know just didn't work the way everyone wanted it to work, and that was it. And I just remember being super nervous for the game. I, uh, you know, I got, they told me Dave's not fit and that you're going to play. And I think I had an injection in my shoulder so I could play. And um, and uh, uh, I was super nervous. There's no doubt about that. I was super nervous at that point. And uh, but it just didn't, you know, it just didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And obviously, you wanted everything to be perfect, and it wasn't. So you just have to accept that and take responsibility for it, and then move on to the next one. It's difficult. It's not easy because obviously you've just, like as I said before, to play for your country is everything you dream, you dream about. So <clears throat> to to have it not go right and know that 
everybody who follows football is probably blaming you right now. It's pretty <laughs> pretty tough to take, but you know, I, I always say the, sa the saving the saving thing was the saving thing for me was that we had a North London derby the next game. So for me, I could although yes, of course, I thought about it and all that, but I had to focus. I had to refocus on the game. So I knew that this was a super important game as well, and obviously the England game was huge, but this game is also big. And you better focus, otherwise you don't want you don't want something to happen in this game as well, and and then it's a snowball. So anyway, so I focused. We drew. It was nil nil. We drew nil nil. Did all right, and um, then I just tried to carry on from there. Um, and then after a few weeks of you know it being in my head and all. Well, actually, it was in my head for a long time. I got a lie. It was it was in my head until it was in my head until we we secured the result in Italy to to qualify. Because I felt I felt like responsible until we qualified. And once once I knew we qualified, then I could let it go. But if we hadn't qualified, it probably would have just stayed in my mind for for ages. So you you've really surprised me with, with with what you said there. I mean, I've always been a big big fan of Glenn Hoddle, the England manager, but I've never met the man. I've never been inside one of his dressing rooms, and it just makes me think in terms of man management. I can't imagine that Terry Venables wouldn't have come up to you in a similar situation and put his arm around you and encourage the other lads to put their arm around you. Well, I, I, you know, I might be doing him a disservice here, but I, I don't remember him coming up to me and saying anything. He might, I might have been in a complete haze. I mean, I, I, you know, but I don't know. All I remember from after that was Gaza saying to me, was Gaza speaking to me. I don't particularly remember Glenn coming up to me and saying, blah, blah, blah. He may have came up and said, you know, don't worry about it or whatever. I'm sure he didn't say that, but <laughs> he, he may. <laughs> but but, uh, but um, I don't remember. I mean, maybe John John Gorman, who he might have come up to me and said something. You know, John. I spoke to John quite a bit, so maybe he may have said something. But it, I can't. I can't honestly can't remember. I, all I remember from afterwards is, is Gaza talking to me because he went out of his way to to try and look after me. So that's that's what I remember. Um, yeah, and certainly afterwards, I never heard from anybody anyway. I didn't hear from anybody. Nobody like, called me to say, are you all right? Or, you know, don't, you know, keep fighting or whatever. I don't know, whatever you might say. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, I was in a haze anyway after that. I was pretty much, I was so, I'm, I, I, I was so critical of myself in my career anyway that, that you know, that, that was, um, yeah, it was just like everything was coming on top. So it was like, oh. And you were yeah. just bomb. Were you just bombed from the squad? Uh, or, or were you getting in? in I don't know. That's a good question. Not sure. I I, I think I did because obviously in between in between games in between that game, I didn't play again till till two thousand and four. Mm. So, but I was in and out of the squad. I was in and out of the squad. Um, I got in. I got into the the bigger squad that went to La Manga, I think it was, and then got got out with Gaza and Dion Dublin, Phil Neville, a couple of others. We got on that, you know, got sent home from the from got omitted from the squad at the end. So I was in the squad then. Um, yeah, I don't know actually if I was in the next squad or not. I'm not sure. Couldn't tell you. How how did you take that news in La Manga in '98? I imagine better than. Gaza took it. Um, <laughs> who were the other three keepers then? There was obviously David Seaman. Who were the other two? Oh, 
if it was not, I think it was either Nigel, Martin and Tim Flowers, or it was, or David James, I can't remember. But I wasn't playing that great at the time, you know, even, you know, I never thought, well, I, I know when I played decent, but even in my mind, when things were going all right, I wasn't playing, you know, I wasn't playing super great in my mind. Um, I always felt I was, you know, I was a bit too critical of myself, but but I didn't feel at that time I was really on top of my form and all that. I wasn't feeling that super confident. And I kind of thought I might not get in. I had a feeling I might not get in. And um, so, I, you know, obviously I went and did my best and tried to show, like, I'm, I want to go. Of course I want to go. I mean, it goes without saying, but try to show I'm ready and training and all that kind of stuff. And you know, whenever, you, whenever you get told you're not going, of course, it's a massive disappointment because I never went to a World Cup. Um, and to go to La Manga thinking you've still got a chance <laughs> and then to get the door slammed in your face is pretty hard to take. But all the stuff that went on with Gaza, to be honest, just took it over and every, all everyone was worried about was him. So we didn't have time really to think about it. I mean, once Glenn told me in the room, I was, of course, I was upset. I mean, I, I thought it might come, but when he, you know, you got to hear the words out of his mouth and that's when it really, really hits you. So, um, yeah, I was super disappointed, but then, you know, after everything happened with Gaza, it was, uh, you know, look after him and, uh, went back on the plane, six of us, I think it was, and, and Gaza was distraught. And then, you know, I, I took him home because, you know, he was in a bit of a mess. So I, I made sure he got home and all that and took him to his door. We were talking, make sure he's okay. And then, then I went home and, Basically, that was it, and uh, watched it like everybody else did at home. <laughs> well, it was a good tournament to watch, up to the penalties against Argentina. But um, was there any inkling about yeah. the squad that, that Gaza would get bombed? Because I remember leading up to the tournament, he was obviously having his issues with his weight, and I remember him smoking on TFI Friday, and he, he was overweight, wasn't he? But he was still such yeah. an integral part of that squad, and his performance against Italy to help us get through was it was incredible yeah 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 I think he's I think he's come out and said now that you know he he, he deserved to uh Glenn Glenn was right you know to send him home hmm. but he, he obviously knew he was in a bit of a bit of a state and wasn't looking after himself properly and I think you know Glenn saw, saw that and I think if 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 Gazza had shown him that he you know had the fitness and was looked like he was ready to go and did everything properly, he would have taken him. I think there's no doubt. But I think Glenn just thought he was in a bit too much of a state and, and uh, you know, that he wasn't going to be a beneficial to the squad or to, you know, to what he wanted to do in the tournament. So he has a big shame for it, for Gaza. But, you know, now he looks back on it, he says, you know, uh, you know, he was right. So... Oh, fair play, no, that, I think that's big of him, isn't it? But a year later, yeah. was it the best moment of your career, the 1999, 1999 League Cup final? Clean sheet and a win? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, George had come in and we were talking about, you know, the setup of teams and stuff like that. Well, when George came in, I knew for a fact that we're going to start shutting up shop. It's going to be, it's going to be winning one nil and we're going to, and that's, that's how he, that's how he sets things up. And I think at that time, that's what we needed. And, and I know maybe the fans didn't because Tottenham, we're supposed to, you know, we want to play attractive football and all that kind of stuff. But I think at the time we needed it. If we wanted to win something, we had to do it. And straight away, um, 
you could tell we just were grinding on the training ground, getting the shape right, getting everything right up there and, and setting it up properly. And, and, and I had a feeling, right, if we, if we do this properly, we, we, we got a good chance of winning something here. And we went on a run. I think we had something like nine clean sheets in 13 games or something silly. And, and of course, we got to the semi-final of the FA Cup, um, which I think we could have got to the final, but Nikos Dabizas handball was missed by the referee. Not that I, not that I don't think about it. <laughs> but, uh, I think about it much, but um, but the, the, yeah, we had a great run, and, and of course, getting to the final, and then and then uh, and of course, winning it. Which of course, going to the final, we, it's not it's not much fun if if you don't win. So yeah, fantastic for for all of us who have been through it, all the all the ups and downs. Uh, the fans, of course, everybody at the club, uh, just was great to to finally get some get your hands on the silverware and can say finally that you've won something at the, for, for the club you know so yeah huge uh, a huge deal for me and obviously for all all the team and the fans and everybody um and uh yeah and i and i think you have to say thanks to george for that you know that he he re- recognized what needs to be done and, and and did it and and it got us some silverware yeah and there's only been one other trophy in the 21 years since, so it, it was it was a good achievement, and it must have been a relief for the late Justin Edinburgh because he fell yeah. for a he fell for a Robbie Savage contract, didn't he? He was the last person ever to be sent off at the old Wembley. So, um, what what are your memories memories of that? Oh well, <laughs> well when it happened, I thought, of course it's Robbie. You know, Robbie just throws himself on the floor. You know, he basically flicked his wig and. And, and he fell down, and it was it was a nothing really. It was a nothing. And uh, when Justin got when he got sent off, I was just we, I think we're all a little bit oh no here we go like this is going to be tough. And it was a shame for him of course because you know no one wants to get sent off and particularly like that. I mean it was a bit silly um, of uh, Robbie, but that's how he was. You know he winds people up and he tries to get them sent off and he and he managed to do it. But uh, from that point on, just just try to keep a clean sheet and try and keep it going as long as we can and hopefully we'll nick one, which is what happened. And uh, great timing. <laughs> Got great timing to score a goal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we just all pulled together and, and managed to pull it off. So that made it a little bit sweeter. Where did you go for your night out and did George Graham join you? Oh, God. Where did I go for my night out? I have no idea. <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to tell you. It was... Everywhere, I'd imagine. <laughs> George wasn't there. I don't think George wasn't there. No, I don't think so. I can't even remember if we had like a little thing afterwards and then everyone just went after that. You know, everyone just went out after. So if we did, George was probably there at the beginning, but after that, he'd probably gone home. But um, yeah, it was, it was a good... Uh, it was a good do. And Yeah, well, I mean, you, wait, you know, you wait for those moments. Sometimes, you know, you only, you're not sure you might not ever get those moments in your career. So, I mean, when you get them, you've got to celebrate. I mean, all the hard work over the years from, you know, even from, you know, when I started goalkeeping, I mean, 10 years old, I mean, you get to the point, you've got a chance to win something and you win it. I mean, you know, some people are lucky. They, you know, play for Man United and they win trophies every year. But, you know, we hadn't won a trophy for, for a while. And when you're there, you're thinking... Or maybe this year, maybe this year, but you know it's tough because, you know. Christian Gross came in, which was one of the strangest appointments I think I've ever seen. And I know that he was particularly unpleasant about you in an interview after he left, but what were your, 
what were your impressions of him? Was it equal? Well, I think Christian, I think, came before George. So oh, he was, was yes, sorry. I think, yeah, I mean, it was quite weird because of the whole press conference thing, that was the first thing. Everybody, all the players were like, what the hell is going on here? He's got this ticket and I'm, I don't know what he said, but it was like, everyone was like, oh, no. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. And he, you know, he brought some different ideas in and um, which was quite brave of him, I think, because I don't know if we were ready for it, but he, you know, he started doing these wake up training, which was like seven something in the morning and, and all this. And that didn't go down well with a lot of people. And Jürgen, he, he, the thing is, I think he's that he, he kind of annoyed uh, Jürgen. And then Jürgen was like, once you annoy Jürgen, he's like starting to say this and that and talking to you know, Alan Sugar and saying, this guy's nuts or whatever he's saying. I don't know what you're saying, but <laughs> you know, then, then it's a slippery slope. And if you're not winning, then it's, it just becomes so difficult for the coach. And um, yeah, it was, it was a tough time. Uh, I think he found it difficult himself. And, uh, and I think the players found it difficult to adapt. So, you know, it ended fairly quickly. Um, but you know the guy is a decent coach. I think if you look at your CD, I mean uh, CV, he's uh, he's he's been quite successful. But just didn't happen. It didn't happen at Spurs, and that was it. Right. So there was no kind of personal falling out with him or anything like that. Not really. Not really. I mean, I, I was upset. I, I, I was, you know. At times, I wasn't very happy about a few things. But in the end, you know, it's always like that with different managers. It's no different from you know the only one. I, you know, they've always had a few words with some of them. Even Ozzy, you know, Ozzy, I had a bit of a fallout because he wanted to—he dropped me, but didn't give me a reason. And then I was pissed off at him because of it. <laughs> but uh, and uh, and you know, there's always times during the during a period of a manager where you're not always going to be all lovey-dovey. It's going to be some points falling out, but um, yeah, nothing, nothing special yeah. for me. But yeah, yeah, not really. No. Well, it looked like you were going to stay at Spurs forever. I think you signed a five-year deal, didn't you? But then I think yeah. Neil Sullivan had a really good season. And then you were on your way to yeah. Leicester. What was Peter Taylor like who signed you for Leicester? And what was his kind of vision that, that made you go there? Well, the, the main reason was that I wanted to play football. I mean, that was the only reason I was... Uh, what happened was I signed a five-year contract and then... In the summer, which was basically three months later, they brought Neil Sullivan in, and I was like, "Okay, well, he's a good backup, you know." Just signed five years. Obviously, I'm not signing five years to sit on a bench. So I thought, "Okay, that's all right." Bit of competition. Okay, no problem. But then Neil started, and then yeah, he had a great season. He had a great season, and had the odd cup game here and there, and everything was good. Obviously, annoyed that I wasn't playing, but couldn't couldn't complain because he was playing well, um, and. Glenn, I think Glenn was there at that point, and we just had the conversation in that the following summer because obviously Neil had such a good season. He's obviously going to start the next season, and I just could, I just didn't want to wait. I just, I couldn't uh, see myself at that age sitting on the bench again for another year. And we had a normal conversation. Everything was good. I just said, look, I want to play if, and if that means I got to leave, then I got to leave. And he said he understood my situation. And he'll try and see if there's anything around. And then I was on holiday and just got a, just got a call saying that you know Leicester are interested. And at that point, I was like, well, they're a stable Premier League club, good squad, um, chance for me to play 
Tim Tim Flowers was there at the time and he had a had a problem with his hip, so that's why they wanted to bring me in. So in the end that's that's how it happened. And then yeah, Peter was uh you know, they obviously wanted me, which was number one, that was great, and obviously the chance for me to play. Um and I thought, yeah, with the squad it's you know, should be should be pretty good, should be pretty stable. So um so that's what happened. And then I think after ten games of the season, Peter Taylor got sacked. So <laughs> so uh yeah, and I missed the I missed the first two games of the season because I got sent off in a reserve game for Spurs, the last game of the season for the reserves. I don't know, I don't know why that happened, but um, and so I missed the first two games. The first game at home, we got beat five one. I think it was five one by Bolton, who just got promoted. And I was watching it. I was like, oh, I hope this is just a blip. You know, I hope it's just the first game. You know, sometimes first games can be a little bit up and down. And then I think we lost again the second game. And uh, and and we just ended up playing catch up all season, so um, it was uh, a bit of a surprise to me. I think I think we had a good squad and probably should have done better, but ended up relegated, which was a big big surprise for everybody. Yeah, but bounce back at the first time of asking. Do you think that was some of your best football you played? The championship was tough. It's a tough league. I mean, the good thing that we did is we kept most of most of the squad together and. Um, I think we were like one of the favourites to go back, which is probably right with the squad we had, but it didn't make it didn't make it any easier. I mean, you still got a battle and you really got a fight in the in the championship, especially at that time as well. Um, but we had we had a lot of good players and uh, you know two two big centre halves. So we had a lot of experience as well. Two, Matt Elliott and Jerry Taggart, two big centre halves, perfect for the championship. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we we brought in Brian Dean, I think that year as well. It might have been in the year before, but he brought him in. Uh, he did particularly well as well. Deansy's got a lot of experience and he's a good, good striker. Scored goals for us, and in general, we had a good squad. And we, yeah, I think we deserved to go up. And then everyone thought, right, great, back in the Premier League, we'll we'll make a better go of it this time. But also during that time, we had you know there was administration. There was a lot of stuff going on at the club with the new stadium and everything like that as well. So it wasn't just plain sailing, but we managed to <clears throat> managed to uh, to go back up and. And, and start it all again. <laughs> yes. Well, there was so much going off all over the place, wasn't there? I, I don't want to dwell on the Lamanga thing by any means, but it was a complete and utter stitch-up. Key Gillespie, yeah. Frank Sinclair and Paul Dickoff end up in a Spanish prison for a week, which must have been unbelievably distressing, especially when no one had done anything wrong. But how do you kind of begin the reintegration process when you all meet again in the dressing room when it's something like that? Can you piss take straight away or was this incident so near the knuckle you just have to be a little bit careful? No, I mean, first off, first of all, you're just saying, like, we're just talking about, basically, like you said, like the stitch up, to asking them about, talking about, you know, their families, talking about their experiences in the jail, talking about all that stuff. And of course, you have to be a little bit cagey with it. You have to kind of read it. And then obviously if they crack a joke, then you know it's all right. But actually, you know, it was pretty serious, obviously. It was serious. But in the jail was serious as well, as far as a few, few couple of the guys like were really struggling uh, in there. And uh, so, yeah, you have to be a bit careful. But then after a while, you know, the, you know, the guys, you know, you bunch of guys together, you start cracking a few jokes about it and taking a mick and all that kind of stuff and you know um so in the end it was okay but I mean of course they had they went through all the all the uh um 
you know, trying to sue the papers and the, the people that, that actually stitched it in the first setup was a setup in the first place. So they, they had to go all through that as well. And then, you know, over time they all, all got on with it, but I know it was there for a while with a few of them. They were, they were kind of, it was in, obviously it scarred a few of them, you know, with their families and with everything else that was going on the outside. Um, that was, what, what was said about them, uh, it took a while from to, to get over it. Yeah. Indeed, there was there was one more light-hearted moment. I think when Mickey Adams, the manager, rang Matty Elliott's wife. She said, Is it, "Was it something to do with women? If he's in jail, you can fucking keep him there." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think all of us who got on the bus and were and were allowed to leave were very were very relieved at that point that it was on us. You know, I mean. What, what a what a horrible thing to happen and um funny enough when you know when we when we first got to the hotel there was there was there was three women there and I was looking at them I was like they look right out of place here like it was almost obvious right but then you know things happen and then you get you know maybe I think the guys had a few drinks and stuff and then what do you know you know some, some start talking or whatever and then and then, uh, and then they stitch them up. So yeah, horrible, horrible, horrible experience for those guys, and obviously for us as well. But for them especially, it was terrible. I mean, imagine what their families and wives and that were going through. It's just, just terrible. Indeed, yes, yes. Well, it was around about that time that you got back in the England squad, didn't you? Uh, for Euro 2004, you had another, you had another game for England finally. But when yeah. people look back on tournaments that England coulda, shoulda. Won, I think Euro 2004. I thought we had a sensational team. It must have been great to yeah. be around. Yeah, well, the golden generation. So I mean, yeah, we, sh yeah, we all thought we had a chance, and we, this is the time. We're going to do it. But, uh, but yeah, didn't happen. And uh, I don't know how the guys feel, you know, who played and all that. That maybe they felt felt it also though that we probably should have won it or could have won it at least and didn't and underachieved so uh yeah it was a disappointment from a personal thing it was obviously before that was great to play again and going back to going back to the Italy game after that after I'd kind of after we you know qualified and played them in uh in Italy and, and got the result we needed and all that and I could let it go then I was just like right I want to play I want to play again you know, I want to play again I want to have another chance because I I, I didn't one I I felt, like I said, I felt really nervous on the night and I felt like now I've got that experience out of the way or I've got that experience, now, now I think I'm better equipped to handle it. So now I, I want to have another go. I just wanted to play again. Once and it went by, it went by, year went by, another year. I got back in the squad and out of the squad, didn't get another chance. And then, uh, and then we played a friendly game at Leicester and, and I was like, Right, I'm going to play now for sure. I'm going to play, and Sven never put me on. And the crowd were going, but yeah, they were calling my name to go on. He never put me on. I was like, I can't believe it. I'm not going to play. I'm not, he's not going to play me. And then, then he put me on in the in the game against Iceland. So I finally, finally got to play another game and feel comfortable in an England shirt. But it was like you know seven years later or whatever. So yeah, that was the only disappointment. But it was great to finally get back out and play for England and and um, feel part of it and actually enjoy it and actually feel like yeah I, I'm mature enough to it you know I've matured enough now to understand it and and feel comfortable in this position 
whereas probably in 97 I didn't. So um, that was nice from a personal point of view. But again, to get in the squad again, another Euros was great. And, and um, that one I would have been comfortable playing. I would have, you know, I wanted to play, but obviously it didn't happen and that, that's fine. Um, but yeah, disappointing really the, the, way, it, the way it was. And uh, yeah, a big chance for us to win a major tournament went by again. Yeah, Sven kept getting us to quarterfinals. I thought he was underrated looking back as an England manager and obviously you went on to work with him later on. But what was he like it during that time with England? <laughs> he was all right. Look, Sven's all right. I, no, Sven's very, he's been very good to me. He's a good guy. He's a very friendly guy. He's a very nice guy. But um, my honestly, my first impression was, um, what's he doing? Like, I don't, I don't know what he does. Like, he just, he, he had, you know, we had, we had Steve McLaren, I think, as a coach. I think Derek Fazakli was a coach. Sammy Lee was a coach there. It's great coaching staff. And I was thinking, well, Sven like turns up and then he kind of does a little talk and then off he wanders and, and that's it. And then we, before the game, get, got a little bored and just went, this, 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 right, let's go. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's how it is. I was like, okay. Um, so my first impression was like that. But then afterwards, you know, I, I got to know him a bit more and I got to see him obviously when he came over here and, you know, he has great experience and he, can, he talks about a lot of stuff. And mate, I just said, oh, it's probably just me at that point. I didn't really understand what was going on, but... Um, but yeah, he's, um, he's obviously had an amazing career as a coach and, uh, when you talk to him, when you sit and talk to him and he's just got so much knowledge about, you know, tactics, systems and all that kind of stuff that, you know, I think my first impression was, uh, wasn't the right one. So, well, but, so yeah, great guy. Do you think a different England manager, a Terry Venables, maybe a Glenn Hoddle would have got more out of that Euro 2004 side then? Well, yeah. Well, you don't know. I mean, that's that's the that's the question, isn't it? So he's. Uh, I mean, Terry was a great man manager as well. Uh, I think Sven was good like that, though. He was great with the players, really great with the players, and I think the players felt at ease ease with him. So that's difficult to say. Terry also has great experience. Hard to say, isn't it? Different, you know, different manager will make a difference or not. Well, talking about England managers, you then work for another future England manager. Sam Allardyce, um, was yeah. he, what was his modus operandi? You know, people talk about his sports science and being methodical and organised. I know you were UC Askelainen's backup goalkeeper by that stage and, and playing in the cup games, but did yeah. you enjoy working for Sam and did you like all that attention to detail? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, he's actually... Ahead of most, of, I guess most teams with a lot of things that he had, we had at the training ground, and the way he did everything with the uh, with the analysis and all that. He had a big team of people working uh, every little detail, and you know he was great to work for because you knew where you stood with him, and that was it. If you if if the team did well for him, it was great. He'd give you days off. He'd give you this, but if you didn't do it, phew, you'd know about it, and you would know about it individually. It would be watching the game and you, and, and I think that's what, you know, brings out the best in people when you, you don't want to sit there and watch yourself, you know, either make a mistake or not putting in the effort or not making a tackle when you should or this or that or the other. I mean, it makes you aware that, oh, I, I've got to do my job properly. And not that you don't, but sometimes, you know, you switch off or whatever. So I think his attention to detail was, was great. The way he did things was great. 
And I think it's always great to be led by a coach who basically uh, lets you know where you stand. I mean, you've got no, you've got nothing to say. There's no, there's no argument. I mean, people try to argue with him in the, in the, in the video room, like in the meetings, and he just brings out the stats and say, this is why we do this. This is why we do this. This is why we do this. And everyone just goes, oh, all right. <laughs> you can't argue with it. You know? So that's pretty much it. And he's a straightforward guy. You know, he is, he's, you know, big Northern guy who don't take any prisoners and, and, uh, and that's fine. That's good. And he's, you know, when things are good, it's brilliant. And when things are bad, you know, you want to turn it around for him as well, because you know, he, he is good to the guys. He's good to the players. And um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did enjoy it. I didn't enjoy not playing again, but I mean, I knew that was a situation when I left Leicester because I had a little bit of an injury in the last year of my contract and I wanted to stay in the Premier League. I wanted to go to the Premier League again. And, uh, and they offered me a chance to do that. Or even though I knew UC was the number one and he was super consistent and all that, I knew that uh, maybe, I'll, again, maybe I'll get a chance, you know, maybe I'll get a chance to play. So that's the reason why I went. And it turned out, you know, it was, it was quite good to me because I didn't, I didn't expect to play in the first ever, Bolton's first ever European game and all that kind of stuff. And he threw me in and it was great. So I enjoyed particularly the first, I'd say the first uh, two years were good. And then after that, um, I didn't really get much many games, so uh, you know that was it. I was looking for looking to go somewhere else after that. Right. Okay. I know that you were trying to get another contract after that because you were still relic, you know, thirty six, thirty seven. But was it at this point when you were really starting to think about a future and a life after football, or had you been planning ahead for for longer than that? I was still trying to play. I still I wasn't thinking about anything. I was thinking about because I had a I had it lined up. I was I was going to the MLS. I was going to the MLS with uh, Sporting Kansas City, which were Kansas City Wizards then. And uh, so I left Bolton in the December uh, with a view to playing, starting preseason training with them in uh, I think it was around the twentieth of January. And um, I went to the US and I basically put my son down to go to sleep and felt a thing, it's something in my back. And I thought, oh, it's just a normal, you know, my back, things clicking all over the place. So I thought, oh, okay, it's nothing, it's all right. And then went to bed, woke up the next day and I couldn't hardly move. And then I was like, okay, uh, get some, I don't know, I'll put some DP on it or something, it'll be all right, it'll ease up. <laughs> and it didn't, and it didn't ease up for about a year. So, um, yeah, I went. I actually went to the. I went to the training camp because I thought, well, I'm going to give it a go. It's kind of. It was still really stiff. I thought I'd give it a go, and I basically lasted like 20 minutes, and then I, I said to the coach, "I'm sorry, I can't. I can't do it." So then I, I spent the rest of the time um, just trying to trying to get fit. I had epidurals. I had all sorts of stuff and 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 all that, and didn't get any better. And then the last guy I saw brought out like a titanium thing and said, oh, we'll do that. And I said, no, we won't do that. So I, that was when I knew, right, it's over. So better start doing some coaching. <laughs> Crikey. Well, do you remember that? Well, obviously you remember that moment, but do you remember when it first really hit you? Crikey, I'm a retired footballer. What am I going to do? Uh... Yeah, well, I tried. Actually, I did try one more time. I tried one more time. Uh, I trained at Charlton, 
and I and I and I I was actually on the I was actually on the B license uh, coaching course, and halfway through, and I got a call saying, "Oh, Charlton, wanted you to go and train," and I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> I just I just couldn't let it go. I just I just wanted to have another go. I just thought maybe this time it'll be all right. Maybe because I'm I still felt I just I trained at Bolton all the way like a hundred miles an hour, and I just thought you know and that little thing happened. I thought well I've got maybe maybe I can I can get through it. Maybe I'll dive or something and it will all be all right. So I flew I flew from I flew over uh, I flew to do the thing and I, then I was on, sorry it was on the US it was a US coaching badge so I flew over. Uh, to London, and uh, um, and I trained for about half an hour. I said, to, he said, oh, you're a bit stiff. I said, yeah, yeah, it's a plane. Must be the plane journey, whatever. It's all right. And then I just, afterwards, I just said to him, look, I'm sorry. I, I've had a bit of a back problem, and I thought it'd be all right, but it's not, and I can't. And then I knew for sure. Then I knew for sure it was done. Yeah. So I, I flew back, and I just was like, okay, what are you going to do now? Because I, because I, I, I hadn't thought about it really. I just thought I'm going to carry on playing and I'll, I'll deal with it when I, when I know I'm going to finish. Because I always thought, well, I'm going to decide. Like, and then all of a sudden it was taken away. I couldn't make that decision. It was already done. So then I was like, okay, next thing is probably coaching. Try that. <laughs> so, so you know, I mean, I love football. You know, I love football through the ups and downs and the bad times and everything else I still I love football I love watching it I love you know I love going to watch games I, you know I'm interested in it all the time still and obviously I'm still doing it now but even then I was like well that's my option that's what I want to do I want to stay in the game so I ended up just coaching some kids at the beginning some kids for a local local team um, and then I had a bit of a problem I was in the US and I had a bit of a problem with my visa once because I went to play even though I was like, I couldn't play properly, I still got invited to these like old boys games, which would be like in Asia or wherever. So some Liverpool lads play, Man United lads play, some Spurs lads play. So I got invited to one and then when I tried to get back in the US, they wouldn't let me because of my visa. I'd overstayed. And um, so then I was sitting at my friend's house in England and he, and he said, oh, why don't, you be, why don't you think about being the manager of, uh, there's a team here, Bishop Stortford. And I was like, no chance, I don't want to do it. I said, I've seen my dad, it's too much stress. It's not for me, I'm a, I want to do goalkeepers. I don't want to do, be a head coach. Anyway, kept on and on and on at me and I ended up saying, yeah. So I did, ended up being, I ended up being up, you know, the manager or the head coach, whatever you want to call it, at Bishop Stortford for about, I think it ended up being about six or seven months. Yeah. Um, so so that's, that got me into that. But it didn't change my mind. I still didn't want to do it afterwards. It was a great, it was in some ways a great experience, but some way I just didn't, it wasn't for me in the end. <clears throat> um, and so then luckily for me, uh, Nicholas Anelka, who was at Bolton for one year, and we got to know each other a little bit, um, said that there might be an opportunity in China. And uh, two weeks later, he called me back and said, get your visa and come over. So, you know, just out the blue so that's basically how it how I got into coaching goalkeepers seriously <laughs> well just one more question on your non-league experience because I know you kept them up didn't you in um, in the conference south 
which is no mean feat. But I was going to ask you, did you have any lads with interesting lives? Because I remember Mark Wright telling me that he actually lost his keeper at Southport because he changed the training nights to Wednesdays. And this keeper ran a karaoke night on Wednesdays. Yeah. No, there was always things like that going on. Like, oh, yeah, he can't make it because of whatever. Or, yeah, he's, he's got to do overtime or <laughs> whatever it is, you know. There's always that kind of stuff going on. And some people, you know, I've got a wedding and I go, oh, okay. You know, I've got this and that. I was like, all right, you know, I understand. You know, because the guys are doing it for, like, almost nothing, basically. Some of them. Some of them. Especially in the second year when we got, when we, they told us we have to be in the north. We have to be in com conference north. So the first year to stay up. And then, for some reason, we had to go in conference north. And so, you know, the guys who are on half decent money, whatever, they didn't want to go in the north. And so we just basically tried to get as many people as possible on, on a trial basis before the season. And we're paying guys like 50 quid and stuff. And, you know, they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. But, you know, when they say to you, oh, you know, my family's members got a wedding or something, I mean, you got to, yeah, okay, you should go then. You better go. You know, you're only getting paid 50 quid. I can't, like, say, oh, are you joking? <laughs> you know, there's, um, there's that, all that to it. But, um yeah, there was. Yeah, they all, obviously, all had uh, all, all had jobs, and sometimes he got in the way, and you just had to say, "Okay, well, that's that's how it is there." And I say, "You have to you have to try and get around it, and and uh, you know, get on with it, and that's it. That's how it is." But um, you know, the guys who, particularly the guys who who came to the club when we were in Conference North, were, were all heroes, as far as I was concerned. They're amazing, you know. So, um, uh, but it just didn't work out, and and that was it. But they're they're all great guys. So um, it was a great, it was a great experience, but obviously again, stressful um, and uh, at times difficult, but, uh, but, it, but it was a great experience. Yeah. And enough to confirm in your mind that you wanted to be a goalkeeper <laughs> coach. So <laughs> yeah. Shanghai, yes. Shanghai Shenhua sounded like a lot of fun. Tell us about the president, Zhu Xiong. He must have rated himself as a player. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I went over and I didn't have a contract. So uh, I was like, okay. And I trained the keepers for a month. And I'm saying to Nico, like, well, am I getting a contract here or what? And he was like, oh, well, hold on a minute. So apparently the owner asked the goalkeepers if they like me or not. That was, that was it. That was it. That was the reason I got a contract. So luckily for me, they said yes. So I got a contract at the end of that year. Um, yeah, and, and the, the owner, he fancied himself. He was always playing when we were training. He was always playing with his friends and out on the side, little five-a-side and stuff. And uh, he, I think he'd already, he'd already asked or he'd already played one time before in a friendly. And then when they, when they brought Didier Drogba in, he told Didier Drogba that I'm going to play up front with you against it was either Liverpool or Man United in a friendly. And, and Didier said, absolutely no chance that's going to happen. <laughs> absolutely none. So he didn't play. But he definitely fancied himself. Of course, he said the previous game when he played, all the Chinese players just kept passing the ball to him all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, to try and set him up to score. So anyway, that Didier knocked that on the head. But um, yeah, he, he was a character. But um, unfortunately, um, he wouldn't pay the money. He wouldn't pay salaries on time. It was a bit of a mess. Uh, the, the foreign guys went on strike once uh, when I was there. Not, not, when, um, not when Nico or, or Didier was there, but after that, they went on strike for one game, wouldn't play because they, they didn't get paid. And it was a bit of a, bit of a mess. <clears throat> um, 
but for me it was good a good experience and uh luckily for me the goalkeeper that I had he ended up getting in the China national squad and playing for the team um so I signed another year after that um and by the end of this end of that year I'd kind of had enough of trying to chase my salary and stuff and I and I decided to see if the other Shanghai team would take me or not and uh, luckily for me they did so that's how I ended up where I'm that where I am now and have you had to adapt how you coach goalkeepers in the eight years you've been doing it? Because I think people would agree that the art of goalkeeping has, has changed quite a lot in the last decade in terms of what's really important. Talk about being able to use your feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's always been my philosophy from, from when I came in anyways to try and get them to do that. I mean, the level here is not as obviously not as high as in Europe, but... Um, uh, so it takes. So what I found is you go back to the basics a lot. You know, there's there's technical problems in most of the goalkeepers which you have to try and solve first. Hmm. Take them back to the basics a little bit, and then, well, even before that is the work rate and the intensity of the training was absolutely well. There was none. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, they're surprised when a striker hits the ball at you know 70 miles an hour and he doesn't see it or he can't catch it or whatever. So. That's, that's the first thing I did is up the intensity, obviously do some analysis of the goalkeepers, where they're at, you know, what they're good at, what they're not so good at, and then try to build it from there. So, like you said, adding in play with the feet, right foot, left foot, you know, range of passing, different passes, all that kind of stuff, trying to read the play uh, and all that kind of stuff is, is what we're trying to do. Even now, we're still still adding to it every, every time, but... But the, for me, the main thing is, you know, that because they're not they're not taught from a young age like we are in in England or anywhere else of the the fundamentals, the basics, diving technique, you know, stuff like that, that you need to address that first, and that's the thing. And if you if you get someone who understands it and and does well, and 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 you in increase the intensity and you carry on like that, usually they they do pretty well. It's interesting. Sometimes you're hitting your head against the wall at times, but. Um, but it's uh, it's good, and it's been good for me. And uh, you know, I've been fortunate now that the goalkeeper here also is well. He's now the China number one goalkeeper. So, been fortunate enough to have two two uh, international goalkeepers come through, and um, I'm quite quite well respected in the country, and uh, and uh, and everyone treats me really well. And yeah, it's, it's been been a great experience. And culturally, with the Chinese goalkeepers, can you dig them out? Can you bollock them, or have you got to be <laughs> really circumspect with how you approach this no just take it on their uh, the different personalities you know it's just there's different there's ones that you can yeah the, the two the two ones are a good example the one at Shenhua who, who came through he's from the north of China and they're a bit more robust you know he's he's uh he can slack a little bit so I kick him up the ass I mean I, I've shouted at him loads and loads of times and he can take it it's his personality he's like you know he's very confident in himself uh, type of goalkeeper who would make a mistake and you wouldn't even notice he made a mistake. You know, he'd make a he'd make a mistake and the next the next three saves were unbelievable. Just straight off. It just wouldn't it doesn't even affect him at all. But then you've got this one who I had now who at the beginning uh wouldn't come off his line, wouldn't he's very kind of shy, a little bit nervous. Um but so you, you you know you put your arm around him and you tell him he's a good goalkeeper and you 
tell him, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's completely different. He's from, he's from Shanghai, so it's slightly different. Um, so so there's, there's that always, like everywhere. I mean, there's different, different, different people in, in all, the, all the leagues in, in Europe, just different personalities. It's the same here. But in general, more, the people from the north are a bit more robust and a bit more confident in themselves. Uh, and the ones more in the south are, are a little bit more, uh, I wouldn't say timid, but they're a little bit more nervy on, on, on the pitch. So you have to give them a little bit more, give them a little bit more love. Just in terms of goalkeeping in the Premier League and, and the top, top league specifically, do you think there's a future for a goalkeeper like a Joe Hart, for instance, who maybe is unfairly perceived as someone who's not great on the deck? Are those kind of goalkeepers going to be a thing of the past? Yeah, probably. Because it's not, I don't think it's ever going to go back to just smashing the ball along. Or, or, or that's not to say Joe Hart can't pass the ball around. I'm sure he can. But the, but it's just the difference that what Pep Guardiola wants or what Klopp wants or whatever. You know, the level is very high. I I, I think you know if if you even at a certain age if you, if you if you do it enough you can you can. You can get used to doing it, but I just think, like Pep Guardiola, for example, he 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 wanted it straight away, and he tried with Bravo, and Bravo was good at it, but he kept making mistakes. So now he changed, then he changed to Edison. I mean, I think Joe was a little was a little bit unfortunate because I think he probably could get it. He's not silly, you know. I think he can change, he can adapt. But yeah, in general, I think yeah, that it's going to be you're going to have to play, and I think. You have to be able to play with both feet. I mean, I, I like my goalkeepers to try and play, be able to play with both feet. And and um, you know, okay, some people say, well, that's not that important. But for me, I like them to be as much uh, as well-rounded as possible. Um, so so yeah, the build-up from the back and be able to play all the different types of passes and to be able to make the right decisions on what pass and you know. Not only passing, but pass and move, pass, find a space, find the next pass. You know, building up through the back, in uh, even a long pass. You know, sometimes you see Edison a lot. You know, when 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 the other teams press, he pings pings the ball to the front man, or he pings the ball over the <laughs> over the back four to a, to a guy waiting in the other half. I mean, it's, it's all it's all it's all part of it. So yeah, you have to adapt. You have to adapt to the game, and that's the way it's going. Yeah, or it's the way. It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you think of the TV analysis and some of the criticism of goalkeepers now? Because the analysis, even from your prime years as a keeper, has gone off the charts. And you never see you never see ex-goalkeepers, do you, as pundits? So maybe do you think they maybe don't understand the art of goalkeeping at times? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I listen to some of it, and I'm like, you, know, you haven't got a clue what you're talking about. But I'm sure there are goalkeepers around who can. Who can Go on there and, and and you know give their opinion. Uh, there's plenty of plenty of guys with lots of experience who who could do that. But for some reason they I don't know they haven't seen too many. I I don't know if that's changed because I haven't watched too much of the TV. I've watched the games, but I haven't watched the uh, the analysis of it. But um, yeah, some of it is yeah some of it is, is is non-existent. I think they I think they need to have somebody on there, someone with a lot of experience who knows what they're talking about because. You know, I'm tired of I'm, I'm tired of a lot of it actually. A, a lot of guys saying, "Oh, what a great save!" It's straight at him, or "Oh, it was a great save." He could have caught it. You know, he could have caught the ball. I mean, you know, it's just like I think there's lots of stuff. So, so yeah, I think there's they should they should use that a bit more. They should use uh, you know experienced former goalkeepers who have played at a decent level 
to go and actually hang on a minute yeah what you're saying is wrong <laughs> let's yeah. let's actually say it from a goalkeeper's point of view who knows what they're talking about yeah well it's a very individual position well well just finally because i've taken up a lot of your time what's what's next for you you've been out in china for nigh on a decade you're obviously you've obviously set yourself up with a big reputation there now do you see yourself staying even longer term or is it time for a change fairly soon yeah uh, yeah i I do. I see myself staying here for at least, well, I just signed a new two-year contract, so I've got another two years with a two-year option. Um, my actual, one of my goals is to try and be the goalkeeper coach for the national team. So that's my, that's my next goal. If I can, if I can do that, um, that would be nice. Uh, and then once I do that, I'll probably sign off. And then if that opportunity comes up with the national team, I would definitely take it. And maybe do that for a year or two. And then after that, probably start making my way home. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if I'll stop somewhere else on the way, but um, just depends on what's, what's happening at the time. But um, yeah, I'll probably carry on for another, I don't know, maybe, maybe five years or so, five, five years, I'd say. If, my, if, if everything holds up, if my knees hold up and everything else. <laughs> I love being involved in the game still, and I'm very grateful that, you know, um, I'm still able to be involved in the game and uh, it's given me a lot and um, even through the ups and downs, like I say, I still, still love the game and yeah, I'm just grateful for the, for the opportunities I've had both as a player and, and now as a coach, so I, I can't complain about any of it. Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much for your time, Ian. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's great. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Sport and Media Group provide honest and trustworthy professional advice and business solutions to the sports and media industry. For more information, visit www.psm-group.co.uk.